Good morning everybody. I am Snigdha Sharma. I am going to present the Hindu editorial dated 21st May 2021. This podcast is for those who do not have time to read newspaper themselves. The analysis of the editorial is given on the last segment of the podcast. Let's get started. Happy preparation. The first article of the day is National Archives will be safe minister. Government will continue to store records safely during Central Vista redevelopment project says Patel. The government is responsible for the records at the National Archives and will s- store them safely during the Central Vista redevelopment project Union Culture Minister Prahlad Singh Patel said on Thursday. Mr Patel told the Hindu that the historic National Archives building housing all the important records would not be touched during the revamp in which the NX the NX building had been proposed to be demolished and replaced with a new one talk of this project is premature there will be no change to the old building all the important records are kept in the old building Besides it is the government's responsibility to maintain the archives and will continue to keep the records safely he said when asked about the public outcry against this proposal the national archive was shifted from kolkata to present building in 1926 and the nxa was added post independence as a part of the central the Redevelopment project the National Archives and X building was proposed to be replaced with a new building meant for use by researchers according to the draft master plan prepared by the center's council council consultant for planning for, for the project HCP Design Planning and Management Limited in 2019 the central public works department that is CPWD was On April 13, they granted environment clearance for the project that includes the demolition of the Indira Gandhi National Center for Arts, that is IGNCA, Shastri Bhavan, Krishi Bhavan, Vigyan Bhavan, the Vice President's House, National Museum, Jawahar Bhavan, Nirman Bhavan, Udyog Bhavan, Raksha Bhavan, and Hutmans in the area, and construction of new Secretariat building at the sites. The the CPWD then floated a tender on April 20 for the construction of three of the secretariat building at the IGNCA plot. The National Archives Annex building was not mentioned in the environment clearance. A culture ministry officials officials said the project was proposed in the latter stages of the redevelopment. which is expected to take until 2026 to complete and the plan could change the construction of a new parliament building and the revamp of the central vista avenue has continued during the lockdown imposed in delhi due to the second wave of the pandemic and has been challenged in court the delhi high court has reserved its judgment in the matter yet to be taken up In response to the Congress's criticism of the government for continuing continuing with the project in the pandemic, housing 
An urban affairs minister Hardeep Puri said in a series of tweets on Wednesday that other components of the project were yet to be taken up apart from the parliament and central east avenue. Clearly 2800 workers are toiling to ensure that central east avenue is ready for Republic Day 2022. A new parliament building for winter session that is 2022 the 75th year of India's independence. Those weaving a web of deceit are doing great disservice to their own reputation Mr Puri wrote in tweet The next article of the day is Rajiv Gandhi's assassination and the downfall of LWTE Today marks the 30th anniversary of the grotesque killing of the former prime minister who was believed to be on a con- comeback trial to power. This article is written by M R Narayan Swami. In retrospect everyone is wise. One will however be never sure what destiny would have had in store. for liberation tigers of tamil inam that is late lwte chief velupillai prabhakaran had he not ordered the assassination of former prime minister rajiv gandhi may 21 2021 will mark the 30th anniversary of a well planned and well executed grotesquing killing that snuffed out the life of an indian leader believed to be on a comeback trial to power Though the LTTE and Prabhakaran kept denying its role in the suicide bombing the killing sealed his fate it was Dharmalingam Siddharth Siddharthan a former Sri Lankan Tamil MP who was among the first to realize the heavy cost Prabhakaran would pay for the killing Zarai Sani a bad phase of life according to astrology will go away for everyone after seven and a half years santharthan told me a long ago i can say without hesitation that israi sane gripped prabhakaran on may 21 1991 and it will not leave him until he dies looking back santharthan turned out to be on the dot None of this would have been evident to the LTTE chief when he along with his intelligence boss put to Aman decided to do away with Rajiv Gandhi fearing that he might again dispatch indian troops to sri lanka Shiva uh, Sivarasan get the task once the task of killing Gandhi was handed over to the LTTE intelligence operation by his nom de guerre Sir Sivara Sivarasan the tigers decided that the latter should not get mixed up with the existing LTTE network in Tamil Nadu the LTTE knew that indian security agencies were aware of almost all its activities in the state including those working for the intelligence wing accordingly one day in september 1990 a boat packed with tamil civilians fleeing the war in sri lanka's northeast reached the tamil nadu coastal town of rameshwaram two men and a woman from the group met indian officials and registered themselves as refugees but moved on to chennai saying they had friends in the city A few days later another boat of Tamil refugees also reached the Tamil Nadu coast 
As in the first instance, two men and a woman registered themselves as refugees and said they too would prefer to live with friends in Chennai. The two groups rented out separate houses in Chennai, telling those who cared to ask that they were lucky to be away from the war. The six Sri Lankans did not know themselves, but their arrival in Tamil Nadu marked the unleashing of a deadly plot Prabhakaran had drawn up to assassinate Rajiv Gandhi. Retrospective Sivarasan, known as the one-eyed Jack because of a glass prosthesis he wore in place of an eye he lost in a battle, real issue realized soon that the men sent in advance as refugees were not enough for the tough job he had on hand. But then, two LTTE intelligence operatives, Nixon and Kenthin, also reached Tamil Nadu. After brief stay in the state, Srivasaran Sivarasan went back to Sri Lanka and returned to Chennai in January 1991. Sacking of the DMK Government It was the month of the Indian government to sack the Dravana Munetra Khazagam government in Tamil Nadu for turning a blind eye to the LTTE activities and placed the state under, the, under direct federal rule. After taking permission from Puttuaman, Sivarasan telephoned Sattasi Van Krishna Kumar, Arias Kittu, the London-based LTTE representative, and sought introduction to a reliable Indian contact in Chennai. Sivarasan did not realize that this was a blunder. Since the June 1990 assassination of Ilampo, Ilam People's Revolutionary Liberation Front Chief K. Patmanabha, and his associates in Chennai and the easy escape of the killers, Indian security agencies had stepped up surveillance on LTTE activities in Tamil Nadu. Kittu telephoned an Indian national, Mathuraja, who was close to the Tigers, and asked him to help out a new group of LTTE members from Sri Lanka. Kittu cautioned Mathuraja against speaking to anyone about the new arrivals. Unknown to Kittu and Mathuraja, the latter was under the watch of the intelligence bureau. The intelligence officers were surprised by Kittu's instruction and surmised that something sinister was afoot. Even as a crackdown on the LTTE followed the sacking of the DMK government, Mathuraja introduced Nixon to, the same, uh, to some Indians who ended up playing a key role in the assassination. Mathuraja also introduced another LTTE intelligence operative, that is Murugan, to an Indian family. This is when Mathuraja suddenly disappeared one day. He was being shadowed in Chennai by Indian security agencies but gave the slip one evening at Egmore. It was later learned that he had left for Sri Lanka ostensibly on the request of Fotu Aman. Mathuraja, however, never reached Sri Lanka. His boat sank in the sea after being hit by a Sri Lankan naval vessel. Believing he died, the LTTE honored him. But Indian security agencies believe that Mathuraja did not die. The Sri Lankan Navy took him into custody after his boat collapsed. Prabhakaran, meanwhile, asked an LTTE member, Kasyanandan, to meet Rajiv Gandhi to convey his best wishes for the upcoming general election in India. The meeting took place in New Delhi on March 5, 1991. Some days later, 
a sri lankan tamil banker based in london also called on rajiv gandhi with a message that the tigers were eager to make up with the indian leader both meetings were meant to make the indian security brass believe that prabhakaran was willing to bury the past and start a new chapter with new delhi arrival of dhanu sivarasan sivarasan who had again gone back to sri lanka returned to tamil nadu by sea early in may 1991 with dhanu the suicide bomber they landed in the coastal town of vedranayam and left for chennai by bus within 10 days of their arrival dhanu and a companion Shubha wrote to the LTTE leadership we are determined to attain our objective by now the intelligence bureau had intercepted a couple of complex coded radio messages from Tamil Nadu to Jaffna IV headquarters in Delhi was pressed to break the code one of the LTTE messages decoded after Rajiv Gandhi was killed was revealing one liner from Sivarasan to Potuaman nobody knows about our operation Another explicit message intercepted on May 7 but again deciphered after Rajiv Gandhi had been killed was a vow by Steven Eisen if i return to Jaffna it will be as Potu Aman's man having achieved the incredible feat of assassinating our leader Sivarasan who pretended to be a journalist when it suited him find out found out from some congress party functionaries about Rajiv Gandhi's election rally in the small town of sri perubudur near chennai on may 21 1991 a rehearsal to ensure that everything went well the ltte ltte had carried out a rehearsal at an election rally of former prime minister vp singh in chennai as singh was leaving then walked up to him touched his feet as a mark of respect for an elder the whole exercise was recorded on video and viewed by ltte many times to check if there were any flaws clearly there were none on may 20 1991 the ltte killer squad watched a tamil movie at a cinema hall in chennai the next evening the group proceeded to sri peru budur and was met by a young indian photographer hari babu who had no clue about the planned assassination At the rally Dhanu was armed with a sandalwood garland and a deadly suicide vest which was hidden by loose fitting bright orange salwar kameez when a police woman tried to question Dhanu after seeing her near the VIP enclosure Hari Babu intervened to say she wo- she would garland Rajiv Gandhi Next evening, the group proceeded to Sri Parvathur and was met by young Indian photographer Hari Babu, who had no clue about her. At rally, Dhanu was armed with Dhanu was armed with a sandalwood garland and a deadly suited suicide vest. To question Dhanu, Hari Babu intervened to say she would garland Rajiv Gandhi. Sri Rasan, dressed in a white kurta pajama, stood near the dais. Eventually, when Rajiv Gandhi made his way towards a waiting crowd, Dhanu moved close to him. The same policewoman tried to push her back, but he stopped her and remarked, "Let everybody get a chance." Dhanu put the garland around him and bent down as if he to touch his feet, but she never got up. She switched on the toggle switch attached to her suicide vest, triggering a terrible blast that ripped through her, Rajiv Gandhi, and sixteen others.
सो द नेक्स्ट आर्टिकल इज चाइना कम्पलीट्स तिब्बत हाईवे इट इनेबल्स ग्रेटर एक्सेस टू रिमोट एरियाज अलॉन्ग डिस्प्यूटेड बॉर्डर विद अरुणाचल प्रदेश दिस आर्टिकल इज रिटन बाय अनंत कृष्णन चाइना हैज कम्प्लीटेड द कंस्ट्रक्शन ऑफ अ स्ट्रेटेजिकली सिग्निफिकेंट हाईवे थ्रू द वर्ल्ड डीपेस्ट कैनियॉन इन तब तिब्बत अलॉन्ग द ब्रह्मपुत्र रिवर इनेबलिंग ग्रेटर एक्सेस टू रिमोट एरियाज अलॉन्ग द डिस्प्यूटेड बॉर्डर विद अरुणाचल प्रदेश इन इंडिया The highway official media in China reported this week took 7 years to complete and passes through the Grand Canyon of the Yalong Zhangbo River as the Brahmaputra is called in Tibet. This is the second significant passageway to Midcock country that borders Arunachal. The official Xinhua news agency reported directly connecting the Patter township in Ningxi to Baibung in Ma- in Midog country the highway will reduce the distance between Ningxi city and Midog from 346 km to 180 km and will cut the travel time by 8 hours the project undertaken by the China Huangyang Huanning group required an estimated investment of over 2 billion yuan that is 310 million dollars zinua reported the construction which began in 2014 is a part of a wider infrastructure push in border areas in tibet in november china began work on strategically important railway line its second major rail link to tibet after the kingai tibet railway that opened in 2006 that will link sichuan province with niangchi that project was considered important enough for president xi jinping to officially launch it as he called it a major step in safeguarding national unity and a significant move in promoting economic and social development of the western region zhu wequin a senior party official formerly in charge of tibet policy was quoted as saying by state media that the rail we which help transport advanced equipment and technologies from the rest of china to tibet and the bring local products out he said if a scenario of a crisis happens at the border the railway can act as a fast track for the delivery of strategic materials the first segment of the line within the sinchuan province from shengru to yan was completed in december 2018 work on 1011 kilometer sections from yan to niangxi will be finished in 2030 civilian settlement another part of the border infrastructure push is the construction of new civilian settlements along with the expansion of existing smaller hamlets along border areas some of which lie in disputed territories claimed by india and bhutan to strengthen china's control over the land in 2017 the tibet autonomous region tar government launched a plan to build moderately well off villages in border areas under which 628 first line and second line villages referring to those right on the border and all the others in remote areas slightly further within would be developed in the prefectures prefectures of nagari shigatse shannan and niangchi along china's borders with india bhutan and nepal an investment of 30.1 billion yuan about 30000 crore rupees was announced for the project covering 62160 households and 2.4 lakh people and includes plan to resettle uh, residents to live in the new settlements 
Last year, satellite images emerged showing a new village called Pangda, built two to three kilometers into what Bhutan sees as its land. On January 18 this year, another village built four to five kilometers into what India sees as its territory in Arunachal was seen via satellite images. In an official said, this land had been under China's effective control since 1959, and there were military barracks there earlier. The civilian settlements, along with new infrastructure, connectivity, are seen as aimed at bolstering China's control over the areas. Will act within seven days of request, says MHA on FCRA accounts. Ten NGOs had moved. High Court over operationalization issues. This article is written by Vijayata Singh, New Delhi. The Ministry of Home Affairs informed the Delhi High Court on Thursday that it would release authorization certificates to operationalize the FCRA, that is Foreign Contribution Regulation Act, bank accounts of non-government organizations within seven days of receiving a request. The court was hearing a petition moved by 10 NGOs that their foreign contribution account in the State Bank of India's main branch in Delhi be operationalized. Even if an NGO had applied before the earlier deadline of March 31, the accounts were not operational for want of an FCXC certificates. After NGOs moved court, the deadline was extended to June 30. The SBI said on May 17 that the out of the total 22,598 active FCRA associations, 17,611 entities, that is NGOs and associations, approached SBI for opening of FCRA accounts. It claimed that it had opened accounts of 78% of the applicants. There is a difference between opening an account and operationalizing it. The SBI opened the account, but it cannot function till the bank receives an authorization certificate from the ministry, said NGO's lawyer Avishek Zebras. The ministry also gave a relief to NGOs whose registration was expiring between September 29, 2020, and May 31, 2021. They had to apply for renewal of certificates or registration by May 31, which has now been extended to September 30. The editorial of the day is the fault line of poor health infrastructure. As and when India emerges on the other side of the pandemic, bolstering public care system has to be top priority. This article is written by Ashwini Deshpande. As the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic ravages India, many bitter home truths and fault lines have been starkly exposed. One of these is the abysmally poor state of the country's health infrastructure. World Bank data revealed that India has 85.7 physicians per 1 lakh people in 2017. In contrast to 98 in Pakistan, 58 in Bangladesh, 100 in Sri Lanka, 241 in Japan, 53 beds per 1 lakh people. In contrast to 63 in Pakistan, 79.5 in Bangladesh, 415 in Sri Lanka, and 1298 in Japan, and 172.7 nurses and midwives per 1 lakh people. In contrast to 220 in Sri Lanka, 14 in Bangladesh, 17 in Pakistan, and 1220 in Japan. 
stagnant expenditure. This situation is a direct result of the appalling low public health expenditure. The latest data narrative from the Center for Economic Data and Analysis, Ashoka University, shows that this has been stagnant for years. 1% of GDP 2013 to 14 and 1.28% in 2017 to 18 including expenditure by the center, all states and union territories. Health is a state subject in India and state spending constituents that is 68.6% of all the government health expenditure. However, the center ends up being the key player in public health management because the main bodies with technical expertise are under central control. The states lack corresponding expert bodies such as the National Center for Disease Control or the Indian Council of Medical Research. States also differ a great deal in terms of the physical space to deal with the novel coronavirus pandemic because of the wide variation in per capita health expenditure. Interstate Variations CEDA has prepared an interactive graphic that allows users to see the interstate variation in per capita healthcare expenditure in 21 major states and how this has been changed from 2010 to 11 to 2019 to 20. Kerala and Delhi have been close to the top in all the years. Bihar, Jharkhand and Uttar Pradesh states have been consistently towards the bottom of the ranking in all years, are struggling to cope with the pandemic as a result of a deadly combination of dismal health infrastructure as well as myopic policy disregarding scientific evidence and expert advice. Odisha is noteworthy as it had the same per capita health expenditure as Uttar Pradesh in 2010 but now has more than double that of Uttar Pradesh. This is reflected in its relatively good COVID-19 management. Given the dreadfully low levels of public health provision India has among the highest out-of-pocket out pocket expenditure of all the countries in the world. That is money that people spend their own, on their own at the time they receive health care. The World Health Organization estimates that 62% of the total health expenditure in India is OOP, among the highest in the world. CEDA's analysis shows that some of the poorest states, Uttar Pradesh, Bihar, Madhya Pradesh, Jharkhand, and Disha, have a high ratio of OOP expenditure in total health expenditure. This regressive nature of OOP health expenditure has been highlighted in the past. Essentially, this means that the poor in the poorest states, the most vulnerable sections, are the worst victims of health emergency. The serene and tragic visuals of bodies floating in the Ganga serve as a grim reminder that the poor had no dignity in life or in death. Families that have been stripped to the bone trying to save the lives of their loved ones cannot even afford a decent final farewell for them. Government's role critical. The interstate variation in health expenditure highlights the need for a coordinated national plan at the central level to fight the pandemic. The centre already tightly controls major decisions, including additional resources raised specifically for pandemic relief. Example, the Prime Minister's Citizens Assistance and Relief in Care Emergency Situation, that is PM Cares Fund. The early declaration of victory over COVID-19 were very clearly credited to the central government. 
CDA has shown that the first round of vaccination where the vaccines were procured by the state center and distributed to the states were marked by considerable interstate variation which was neither explained by the case load nor by the share of eligible population now that the disease is ravaging the country and the need for a coordinated strategy on essential supplies of oxygen and vaccine is acute the central government has shifted most of the responsibilities on to the states including that of procuring vaccine from the international market this is inefficient as the centers can bargain for a good price from vaccine manufacturers in its capacity as a single large buyer like the european union did for its member states and benefit from the economies of scale in transportation of vaccines into the country once the vaccine arrive in india those could be distributed across states equitably in a need based and transparent manner another benefit of central coordination is that distribution of constrained resources that is medical supplies financial resources can internalize the existing disparities in health infrastructure across states a decentralized management on the other hand exacerbates the existing inequities as better off states can outcompete others in procuring resources this is evident in the vaccine procurement with various states floating separate global tenders a policy brief in april 2020 ceda came out with a policy brief where among other measures it recommended the creation of a pandemic preparedness unit that is ppu by the central government which would streamline disease surveillance and reporting system coordinate public health management and policy responses across all levels of government formulate policies to mitigate economic and social costs and communicate effectively about the health crisis we had not foreseen the ferocity of the second wave but knowing how deadly this is our suggestion requires even greater urgency Indians were already one illness away from falling into poverty. Family family is devastated by the loss of lives and livelihood as a result of this pandemic will feel the distress for decades to come. The central government needs to deploy all available resources to support the health and livelihood expenses of COVID-19 ravaged families. immediately as and when we emerge on the other side of the pandemic bolstering public healthcare system has to be the topmost priority for all governments the center as well as states